The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell. That's right. NBA Finals Week 2 edition with my Wise Guy Roundtable. And we've got a special guest, Mackie. Mackie. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about Mackie and a special guest, but he's here to my right. We got Brad Powers in front of me, Steven Nover to my left, and I'm R.J. Bell with the f- little vestiges of the flu, but that's not going to stop me from the dream preview. Uh, fans, devotees, supporters, and you guys certainly mean a lot to us, and we appreciate it. That's why 52 weeks a year we are here, and what a show. I'm, I'm excited about this one. We've got... The NFL, Stephen Over has really been pounding the books on the NFL this week, getting ready to take advantage of those early numbers. And he's going to go through Fezzik's top 10 and critique each team, give his one or two most important takes, handicapping takes. And he has two of the 10. He disagrees with Fezzik in a significant way. Then we're talking college football. And we're going to go longer than usual here on the college football, Brad has the 10 biggest movers of the week, but that's probably not even the way to say it. it's not the movers of the week. It's the movers of the year so far. Meaning if you look at the opening numbers over under wind totals, future odds, whatever game, you know, specific game lines, who are the professional batters? And remember most of this money is professional. Who are the uh, early, who are the professional batters backing and who are they fading you're going to have the 10 biggest. And actually, for symmetry's sake, we got the five biggest teams that are backed and the five biggest teams in college football being shaded by the college football specialist, Brad Powers. Additionally, we're talking NBA Finals. Mackey's got some takes. Nover's got some takes. And I'm going to correct their mistakes. There's a few. We've gone through the notes. I haven't told them yet where... They're wrong, but I'll be very explicit about that. We've got a best bet this week from Brad, week one of college football. Also, a little bit of talk about Delaware and them starting to take single-team bets. And Brad, I don't think he was really tempted to move to Delaware. Who, you know, let's be candid, who would be necessarily? Unless you're there already and you must know things about it. We don't. That's why we're not there. But... He's very, Brad, very disappointed about some of the happenings when it comes to Delaware and the way they're launching. And there's nothing like hearing a wise guy whine. Showtime! Woo! It's going to be a little whining, right, Brad? Yeah, absolutely there will be. Don't be proud of it. (laughs) All right. NFL. We're going to start. We're going to start Casey Kasem style, 10 to 1. And actually, actually... Coincidentally, actually, one of your two big disagreements, Mr. Nover, is on Fezzik's team number 10. Fezzik's team 10 is San Francisco 49ers. How do you disagree? Oh, does that sound right to you? San Francisco 49ers, the 10th 
best team already in the NFL? Well, listen, there's one factor you got to keep in mind. <laughs> I love Jimmy G. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. I will make your case because I'm going to probably defend Fez a little bit here. Jimmy G, you know, certainly. That, did that scare you? Like your voice got real low. <laughs> go, man. Knock you're, loud, you're, stand You're confusing proud. me. It's huh? like you're. You're like have multiple voices coming at me, and uh, you know, it's, I've got to change up my defense a little bit. Uh, uh, Jimmy G, yep, certainly played well, gave a spark, but you gotta, you have to look at his weapons, RJ. What weapons does he have? He's uh, his best wide receivers are Marcus Goodwin, who's kind of a deep threat, but he's not a real, he's not a number one type. I don't even know if he's a number two type. Pierre Garcon, he's hurt all the time. Their main running back is going to be McKinnon, who was with the Vikings last year. A good change of pace back. Not the type of guy you can rely on as a, as a total lead back. The defense has some, some issues. They're really counting on Richard Sherman. Well, guess what? Richard Sherman is coming off First an Achilles off, are they, injury. Are they really counting on Richard Sherman? Sure, or, they signed or this is a, Well, but under that theory, everyone they signed, they're really counting on? Because if you look at the contract... It was a very team-friendly contract, Sherman. As in, remember, he negotiated the contract himself, and it's like, they, and I don't remember all the terms, but we talked about it on Don't Bet On It. It was really team-friendly. So I think, I wouldn't call it a free roll, but they have a cheap bet on Richard Sherman. Okay, fair enough. I just think, it's not like I'm down on the 49ers. I like Kyle Shanahan even when they were only like, nine, they, yeah, if you, if you were coach. if you were starting a team, okay, and we had uh, longevity as a fact, Mackie's like on his phone. What are you doing on your phone, Mackie? Like get, setting up a day tonight, checking out the Niners depth chart. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I'll accept that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, again, this guy's single. Who knows? He's always shaved. He never it looks like. I remember on the episode, or it wasn't an episode, but it was a show. Um, what was the one that had the Seavers? It wasn't uh, Who's the Boss. It was, uh, what was the name of that show? It was in the 80s. Family Ties? No, 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 no. no. That's Alex P. Keen. Uh, well, anyway, it's one that had Kirk Cameron on it. Yeah. Right? I forget the name of the show. But the dad, they always said the dad looked like he got a haircut every day. You know how normal people, they, they get their haircuts a little shorter. And then after a week, it's longer. After a week, it's longer. And then eventually either, I think, what, four to six to seven weeks, people get their hair cut. But if you look at day one and the last day before the cut, it's very different length. Growing Mac pains. Growing pains. Mackie's hair is always the same length, <laughs> but it's not, but it's like got like an inch and a half. So it's not like one of those like buzz cuts, like the rock or whatever's doing. Yeah. How do you do it? There's a good barbershop right around so, the corner. So you, you, the how often do you go? Last time I got my hair cut was two and a half weeks ago. Is that a long time? I was thinking of going today. So. <laughs> wow. I mean, that guy's clean. You want yeah. to talk about clean cut. That is clean cut. Yes. And, you know, let's be honest. I, the girls that like clean cut never like me necessarily. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I'm the same way. A little edgy, a yeah. little yeah. edgy. You can't lie. <laughs> Though my wife, if you would, she was, when we met, she was at law school at William & Mary and her par her dad is a uh, has a PhD in uh, it's a scientific you know science whatever it is from University of Texas has worked for the government in uh, research of like uh, advanced viruses like the kind that might spread across and kill the whole country they're trying to figure out how to stop them he's done that for like thirty years uh, her mom's a registered nurse 
is the last, like when she called and said, I met a guy and he's a gambler in Vegas. <laughs> there was a couple family meetings. <laughs> Let me tell you. Now, I won him over. It took a little while, just a little while. Oh, you know, that sparkling personality shown. You know, uh, nine out of 10 people. Uh, are are ambivalent, and then there's that one that likes it. So I <laughs> yeah. agree with you. And you're very smart. You didn't mention anything about Joe Flacco being good. Well, listen, the, the intelligence, uh, my intelligence is, uh, it, it's so obvious, Stephen. Why would I talk about it? All right. Let's, <laughs> speaking of. <laughs> all right, Stephen. So let me, I'm going to counteract you a little bit on San Fran. Would you agree with me that there's no other sport that the record of the team's in the regular season and their true strength, meaning if God came down and said, I'm going to stack rank these teams one to 32, that the variance between record in even a 16 game season, the season's over playoffs are being set. I see, we see times all the time that a team is like five and 11. And like, if they replayed the season, they'd be nine and seven without blinking. Uh, football has a ton of randomness in it. It's only 16 games. Would you agree with that? Yes. And I think the Rams are probably a good example of that. Yeah, give McVay a lot of credit between years. but And especially with Goff, he helped Goff grow. But how different? I mean, they made some signings, but they were a good young team, especially if a team has a lot of pedigree draft choices. That's why you see a lot of optimism for the Browns. It's like, They keep picking all these guys. At some point, they're going to come together and play well. So I would make the case of all the teams last year, the 49ers, even though they won those games at the end of the year, when they had Jimmy G start, they were undefeated, obviously. And when they had Hoyer start, they lost only one game by more than a field goal. So those two quarterbacks had 10 games. So if you have 10 games... You only lose in the NFL. You only lose one more in a field goal. That's pretty damn good. I think right? the 49ers are on the rise. I just think ranking them number ten already is just well. Sixteen is 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 average. Yes, right. So and 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 one other point. Bethard, who played the middle ten games. Well, no, no. The, I guess six games in the middle. Right. It was five, six, and then five. Okay. He was not an NFL quarterback. No, no. So if you if you say you know, I, I think there's still questions about Jimmy G. Obviously, by all accounts, Belichick loved Jimmy G. Like, not like Fezzik. <laughs> he loved him as a player. And I, I I really, truly believe that Jimmy G has a great future. I think him going 5-0 and and looking so good might have his expectations a little high, at least for year one. But my case is, I think the 49ers with a competent quarterback were probably a nine and seventeen last year if they played a thousand games in some computer simulation. Do, I mean, do you disagree? Like, Dis- that- disagree? Uh, maybe I think that's a little high. Maybe seven and nine, eight and eight at best. I, I don't think they were. All above right, but let's say eight teams. and eight. Let's give them eight and eight. I mean, another year for a young team and Jimmy G for the whole. Se- I mean, if Jimmy G quarterbacked them the whole season, what do you think the record would have been last year? Definitely better. I just don't know if they can beat Seattle on the road. I don't know if they can beat Arizona on the road. Uh, they're certainly really? not as good as the Rams. But, but, but to be the 10th best team, you don't have to win all your road games. 
to to be that high though, RJ. That my my point being, I just, I think they're favored right now at Arizona, right? I haven't looked at all the the, the sixteen week lines, and what are they going to be at Seattle right now? Probably uh, two and a half plus two and a half at Seattle. I mean, Seattle's only favored in three games right now in those game of the year lines really? at CGT. Only Jeez. three games. Most of them are right around pick one, but I think at San Francisco lines only one one and a half. That's a good memory, Brad. But so to me, if I you got two, if you're a clear favorite in one game and a coin flip in the other, you're going to split them. And again, we're getting a little micro here. Do you feel like the four? I mean, the 49ers have had a lot of good draft choices for a lot of years now, post Harbaugh. And I think Shanahan, and that's what I was going to ask you before Mackie trying to set up a date tonight distracted me, is or a haircut, a date or a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what time are we getting out of this pod? I, I got a, I got a haircut. <laughs> I think you just cut one last week. Yep. <laughs> What's your point? <laughs> but. <laughs> If we were starting to draft and had longevity as an issue, meaning Belichick's older, so you know he might only coach another. Who knows? But you know, over under would be what four and a half years. I think I would make the case Shanahan's one of the top three picks in a coaching draft right now. Where would you have him? around that? I like Shanahan, and but uh, like the top three doesn't seem like a like. It seems like a. A lot Top of, three. Well, some of these new coaches, I or first year coaches from last year, I didn't like too much. Uh, what I what impressed me with Shanahan is not so much the way they finished, which was very impressive, but when they went zero and nine to start the season, he kept the ship going. They had a good attitude. They played hard. That's all a reflection on the coach, and that's a real plus for Shanahan. And we know how sharp he is with the offense. And we saw a little bit with his absence in Atlanta. And again, maybe we're trying to figure too much into it, but boy. It seemed like Atlanta suffered for his absence as OC. Definitely. Very telling. So I, what I'm hearing you say is you're in general skeptical with teams that people think are going to make big jumps, but there is a recipe here for a big jump for the 49ers, but you're still skeptical. In the NFL, it's hard to make those big jumps. You kind of make jumps in increments. And uh, I see, see I the 49ers actually, improving, but to put them already in the top 10, I just think it's a little, little much. Okay, team number nine, Jacksonville Jags. Jacksonville. Uh-oh, the, the nitty professor's going through all his notes. Uh-oh. Jacksonville. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the obvious, Bortles, still a major issue. Go ahead. All right, will you turn off that damn music so I can talk here? Um, there's just... The nitty, uh, the nitty professor getting a little worked up. Well... You know, with Jacksonville, uh, the, the two sides. We're talking Jacksonville, right? Yes, we're talking okay. Jacksonville. There's the Bortles on the offensive side and the defensive side. He's their quarterback, side. right? Uh, yeah, I guess you could call him that. Um, <laughs> so uh, what, let, let's start over. Jacksonville, what's your main take? Yeah, I appreciate that quick throw at me. Jacksonville, <laughs> silence. Uh, oh, by uh, the way, hey, we're uh, going to. You know what they had, though, RJ? Paul Pasolini retired, and he was like their Sean Lee. Pazlesny. Yeah, thank you, of their defense. And he was that important, uh, hardened veteran, very intelligent player, a uh, huge tackler. and uh, Like a coach on the field. Coach on the field, yes. Let's throw out the cliche. And um, it's, They um, become cliches for a reason. <laughs> I think that that's a major loss, that it really isn't getting too much uh, publicity through the, the offseason. Uh, so I, I could see them maybe taking a, a step down. Uh, it's hard to really win in the NFL with a run-first uh offense which they had and, and they did win last year but I could see a, some regression coming with them 
And I think it's always important to realize when we talk about regression or talk about advancement or improvement, it's not so much from the record, it's from how good the team was. So you look at Minnesota. I think the case could be made Minnesota's better than they were last year. But I would make my biggest bet of the year on under 13 wins because they were uh, fortunate to win 13 games. It's a great point. Yeah, it's a great point. I think Jacksonville, no one thought they were a top four team. They remember Jacksonville was an eight point underdog at Pittsburgh. Okay. They won the game. Give them credit. And they almost beat the Pats. So you got to take that seriously. I, I I feel like there's ebbs and or or cycles in the NFL, and it does feel like this the running the ball particularly well and playing great defense is cycling back a little bit. Whereas two or three years ago, that didn't make near as much sense, uh, or I don't know, make sense is the right way to say it. it was less effective. It feels like it potentially is a little more effective now, but all that said, it is about Bortles. Is how I mean, is he a comp? Is he even an average quarterback? No, no, all right. And as much as you could look at Philadelphia's victory and say, well, that's a sign you can even win with a backup, except I make the case Nick Foles played one of the five best quarterback games in Super Bowl history. That was an amazing performance. Maybe it was seventh. We want to debate. So when there's been what, 40, how many Super Bowls? 51. 51 Super Bowls. 52. 51? 52. 52 Super Bowls. So we've had 104 quarterback games. So he had a better performance than Mark Rippian? What do you think? I'd say yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think top 10%. Yeah, absolutely. So can we, maybe that's the ultimate question with these teams with uh, below average or let's say not elite quarterbacks, could they play as well in their not best game, but in a good game from them? Could they play like Foles did? And speaking of below average quarterbacks, keep in mind Jacksonville greatly benefited from not facing Deshaun Watson in each of the two meetings against Houston, not facing Andrew Luck, those two meetings against Indianapolis, all four of those games, three touchdown or more victories for Jacksonville. Yeah, but they, they go two and two in those instead. They they still make the playoffs, right? They probably still win the division, and they start, they go into Pittsburgh and win, and they well they're eight and eight instead of ten and six, so they're borderline. But remember, they finished the year where they had That's things. Where, I mean that 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 was a playoff team yeah. last year in the regular season. And again, you you're right; things could have went crazy the other way. But that that's a playoff team, and they beat Pittsburgh, and they should. I mean, really. Outplayed New England. They out, that's a great way to say it. They outplayed New England. So I think you. I think this team has to get some real credit. But I think it, it's back to the idea: are we handicapping winning a Super Bowl, or are we handicapping an over under win total? Because I would have Jacksonville. If you told me, here's an interesting question: How many teams would you pick to say this team? Is going to have you win the bet if the team has a winning record. I Meaning you have to be, not, I guess, in theory, nine and seven. Yeah, nine wins. I was thinking about ties, but yeah, if you're, well, eight, seven, and one would be a, a winning record. So let's just say winning record. If we were drafting teams, like New England would be one for sure. And then I don't know if it's Philly, I don't know if it's Pittsburgh. 
I would have Jacksonville fairly high on that list. Not, I'm not saying ahead, you know, obviously here, Pats, Eagles, Minnesota, Rams, Pittsburgh, Saints, Green Bay. Yes, I'd have them ahead of Atlanta, even though Atlanta's probably the better team. Now, you might say the better team. How? It's because of variance. If we then drafted to win the Super Bowl, I would have Jacksonville lower. Uh, I think Jacksonville is just a consistent team. So can they win the Super Bowl? Boy, I think it's a long shot. Can they, are they going to consistently be a, an above average NFL team this year? I think yes, for sure. Any closing thoughts? Uh, no, I would uh, agree with you there, RJ. Yeah, that was a powerful point. I hadn't heard that. Appreciate it. Brad? All right. <laughs> Green Bay Packers. Now, just to let you know, Professor, is we went 10 and 9. Now we're going 8. You ready? Thank you. Green Bay Packers. Gave me a little time to find out. Bart, <laughs> Bart Starr time. <laughs> now, Let me no, tell you about the time. Now, Nover grew up in Green Bay. He was a reporter. He, t- he was telling Bart Starr stories as a reporter. So a special insight here. I actually grew up uh, about 20 miles south of Milwaukee in the 60s. So I had the honor and the privilege of growing up watching the Lombardi Packers. And learned a lot of lessons about life, you know, not just football, but just watching them. But on to the... Now, how many, they won how many, during what period they won how many titles? Like during 11 years they won... It wasn't that much. They won the championship in 61, 62, 65, 66, and 67. Not that much? Five, Five out of seven. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and they would have won it in 63, but Starr got hurt. And they would have won in 64, but they didn't have any kickers. Their field goal kickers. They're something like 13 out of 34 in field goals. So they should have won it every year Lombardi was coach, except his uh, first two years. And the second year, he got him to the championship game. Now, usually when I play this, it's a good thing. I'm not <laughs> sure, but it's true. I defy you to tell me another podcast where there's bad beat stories from the 60s. All right. So let's Some fa- of those losses to the Colts, RJ. I still can't get over them. Oh, that Johnny Unitas. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that Unitas. <laughs> it's kind of like Newman. <laughs> All right. So let's fast forward uh, 50 some years. And uh, this year, Green Bay's team. What do you think? <laughs> well, the two big question marks are the secondary. Uh, so far, these uh, they took uh, two cornerbacks in the first two rounds. Look like good draft picks, and they've looked good at their uh, their camp so far. But the other huge question mark for them is the offensive line, primarily right tackle, where uh, Brian Belaga, I doubt he's ready for the start of the season. He's coming off a, a torn ACL that he suffered in, in November. His rehab, they don't figure he's going to be ready. And behind him, they just have a bunch of stiffs. And uh, they had a signing, Byron Bell. He could very well start at right tackle, and he's kind of become a, a journeyman. And uh, that just kind of shows you, though, how vulnerable they are if the, if Byron Bell is going to be one of their their starting offensive linemen. So what you're saying is, and, and this is a distinction we make all the time, if you had to, not even looking at the schedule, you had to say, will game one through eight have more wins or game nine through 17 or, you know, let's say team game eight through 16 um, or I'm sorry, one through eight or nine through 16 is 
it sounds like you're thinking the second half of the year has more wins. Yes, the young secondary should uh, start to get better. They've got a new defensive coordinator. They're you know his putting his system in, and so that's gonna it's gonna take some time. So if you pose that question, RJ, I would definitely say the second half would should be better for them. No, I love that kind of insight because even if you're thinking of playing a future on them, maybe you wait, wait till the two and two, two and three. Who knows? And say okay, but I'm seeing the signs. Young players, new DC, and O-line especially. Okay, let's go with uh, 10-9-8-7, Atlanta Falcons. Can I just interject one quick Vince Lombardi story? Oh, yes. This was actually when he left the Packers and went to the Redskins. He was with the Redskins for for just a year, and uh, he had a a number one draft pick that he inherited. This guy was the Redskins' number one draft pick from a couple years ago, a running back. And he was late for a team meeting or a practice, Lombardi cut him. Just cut him right then and there. This is a number one draft pick. Okay, that's my Lombardi story. That's it. That's it. Tune in next week. We'll have another Vince Lombardi story. Oh, you want to talk old school. <laughs> that is old school. She moved to a small town where the rule of law still exists. You will not survive here. You're not a wolf. And this is the land of wolves now. Okay. Old school. Let's go with Atlanta Falcons, number seven. With the Falcons, RJ, I have to question their offensive consistency. Uh, Losing Shanahan, they just didn't have it what they had two years ago. Home losses to the Dolphins and the Bills, those are bad losses. They're in a really rough division. I'm I'm not high on Atlanta. I think Fez may have them rated a little high here. I tell you, I do Atlanta radio every week during the football and I was pro Atlanta all year that, you know, most local guys are skeptical because they, they, they feel the radio guys cause they feel it so intently and they live and die with those wins and losses. And once they start losing, they get skeptical, but the stats, I mean, yards per play, we talk about it all the time. Amazing for the Falcons. And I just wonder how much of the Shanahan, absence was truthfully his absence was the problem. How much is red zones have a huge element of luck in them? So I agree. Shanahan's an elite coach. It's just whenever the stats disagree with the scoreboard, I believe the stats and especially in the NFL where the seasons are so short and think about it, who played, what was the most impressive playoff performance of a losing team? the entire playoffs Atlanta going into Philadelphia and being 50, 50, you know, four downs from the nine in hindsight, that was a hell of a performance from an Atlanta team that on a neutral, you know, played better. You know, the Pats had less of a chance to win on a neutral than Atlanta did going into Philadelphia. Got to give out Atlanta. Now you might say, but RJ, where was the problem in the red zone again? So who knows? And you also, do you give Atlanta a little bit of a pass, the Super Bowl losing hangover? I mean, if anyone was going to have a hangover off a Super Bowl loss, it was the Falcons blowing a 28-3 lead. Much better team the second half of the year than they were in the first eight games. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Because, I mean, eventually you got that excuse ends. Now, if you start yeah. out two and seven, it doesn't matter what happens after, right? They kept uh, uh, one enough to be be able to surge in the playoffs. You can also talk about the just the eye test with the Falcons, not not necessarily the the stats, which were down, of course, from two years ago. But that they were so awesome two years ago, 
were you that afraid of them this past year? They just weren't as crisp. They just weren't as good, especially Ryan. But they were clearly the, I mean, you could make the case Atlanta was the best team in the NFL the year before. Right. Now, no one's saying they were the best. But the question is, was Atlanta maybe the fifth best team in the NFL last year? Because if so, having them seventh here means they're being down. It's hard to me. Whenever I think about any kind of stack rank or a spread, I say move it three points one way and three the other. Can you defend one of those? If I move Atlanta to 10, I'm thinking no effing way. If I'm moving Atlanta to four, I'm thinking that's optimistic, but I can see it. Like to me, what sounds more reasonable for now? It sounds like you think 10 sounds more reasonable than four. Well, I do like them better than the 49ers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go there. All right. Team six, the Saints. Saints uh, have always been very well balanced. And uh, after three straight. Well balanced, what running and passing? Uh, this past year they were okay. So yes. all, when you say always, you mean last year? I need to backtrack on that. It's, uh, <laughs> yes, thank you for pointing that out. I meant last year, and because they weren't balanced the previous three years, all seven and nine seasons. Last year they became balanced. They went eleven and five. Now let me ask you a question: How much of that Saints playing better? And again, I think the Saints could have been. It's funny. I think Minnesota could have been the best team in the NFL. I think the Saints could have been the best team. I think the Pats could have been the best team, and obviously the Eagles could have been the best team. Like I really think if if you play that season a thousand times in a simulation, I'm not so sure the Eagles are that much better than any of those teams. Did you mention the Vikings too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So yeah. for no, me, it was Minnesota, bunched. Vikings, Philadelphia, New England, with Pittsburgh the clear fifteen. But I think there's a drop. There was a drop with the Steelers. My in my even as a fan. So my question is this. How much of the Saints' uptick last year was because their offense was more balanced, thus more effective in net on offense? And how much was it that it was the defense? Because even with my point would be even with an unbalanced offense, the Saints' offense the last four years, you know, but let's say the three prior to last year was still very, very good. It's just the defense was so bad. Was it was it about the offense got so much better in that cause of balance, or was it because the defense got so much better? I think a combination of both. Uh, the offense being balanced, they obviously ran the ball more, and that kept the defense off the field. Now the defense. Mm-hmm. Now that's interesting. So your point is, you you don't rely on the pass so much. Defense has to play less plays, and it's not just counting weight. stats, but it's fatigue, et cetera. Yes, exactly. The fatigue factor. They get less winded, and they also came up with the long-awaited shutdown cornerback. They came up with one, Lattimore, their uh, rookie draft pick from Ohio State. He just played great. So the, the Saints, though, looking into this season, maybe you want to fade them early in the season because Mark Ingram is suspended for the first four games. He was a key to their balanced offense. They're going to have to rely on Camara now a lot more, and he's not really one of these heavy-duty backs. He's most effective when you can spot him. Now, remember, and, and, you, and as the nitty professor, you certainly know this, Stephen, we only are going to make a play based upon a suspension, an injury, or whatever, if we think the market is under or overvaluing the, the absence. Do you think the market's going to um, undervalue Ingram being out? Hard to say. Yeah. He, uh he had a real big year uh, last year, but prior to that, he's been kind of a disappointment. And I just wonder, to me, the easiest thing to replace in the NFL is a back for modest carries, meaning 
the, it's so surprising when you see these teams put their third back in and they're like, man, that guy looks good. There's something about it, though, that if he had to carry the ball 25 times for four straight weeks, it's not going to happen. So if it's four game and, and, you know, if it's four games and he's the whoever the replacement is, is the second back. I mean, yeah, it's it's not as good as if, if they had Ingram, but I, I would say it's one that I, I wouldn't be too worried about. And Fezzik gave out a best bet on the Saints week one. He actually thinks for the short term it could be a positive just because Kamara is a more explosive player than Ingram. Oh, so the theory is, hey, we wouldn't want him taking hits and, and being a workhorse the whole year, but if he's got to be for four games, yep. we're fine with it. Okay, what do you think of that, Fez? He's a great talent. Kamara's uh, a great talent. Yeah. There's, there's no doubting that. And yeah, maybe for the short term it, it might work out, but it's not going to work out for the long term. But luckily it doesn't have to be the long term, right? Four games. No, four games is, is a suspension. Now, what I love about the Saints this year is the mentality. You know, in history, in war, they talk about burn the boats. The army lands on the shore. We're not going back. We're either winning or we're done. Burn the boats. The Saints are all in. They made a trade that by most accounts was a bad trade to move up to get an edge rusher. They got the guy they wanted because that was their pick, and they paid a, a steep price. But that next year's first doesn't really affect them for a couple. You know, yeah, maybe it would affect them next year if the first somehow. And again, the Saints are figuring they're in the late twenties, mid to late twenties. They're figuring, hey. We need to, We got two more years maybe with Breeze at high performance. Who knows? Could be more, likely less. If you, you know, I think two is a good guess. They're trying to win now. That mentality, I think, helps a team. If you have a sense of, oh, next year is just as good. Pittsburgh, for whatever reason, seems to never have a sense of urgency. And to me, they've suffered for that. I, uh, I, I like the Saints being aggressive there. What I, I don't like is... Unless you have a surefire offensive lineman or defensive lineman, and there was only a couple in the draft, I don't like to, to trade up and take these guys that high. And I think they traded up to number 15 for a, a Davenport, who has some potential, but he's far from a sure thing. Yeah, but, but let's be honest. You, me, any guy in Vegas, we're not in a position to judge DNs versus, I mean, we can read what, the draft Knicks say and act like we know something. It's a roll of the dice, RJ, exactly. but just history. I've been following the draft <laughs> since uh, we used to be televised uh, right in the beginning with ESPN at six in the morning, our, our West Coast time. And uh, it's a crapshoot with these offensive linemen and these defensive linemen. When you take them, you know, from about 15 on, some of these guys will turn out. Most weren't, won't. And I agree in general, it's a crapshoot is I like the fact that the Saints are taking the risk because you can always do what seems to be the smarter play, but never take enough risks to actually win it all. And it really goes, look what Denver did with Manning the last couple years. They just made a, signed a lot of contracts, made a lot of moves that didn't make midterm sense, but they made short-term sense, and they got themselves a Super Bowl. We got a shooter. Okay, Steelers, team number six. I have to ask you this, RJ, about the Steelers. And that's five, team number five Steelers. Sorry about that. Go ahead. So, okay, here's my question to you, RJ. Mike Tomlin, good coach or glorified cheerleader? <laughs> well, here's what I know. I'm back to I don't know enough to judge. And that's one thing I think that's really 
uh, should be avoided is what we can't understand is the meta late game decisions. If you're a smart person, you ever played Madden, you understand, oh, let him score there, you know, and it's that old saying, what does the other team not want us to do? Right. And I'd much, much rather them score and give me the ball with 45 seconds down eight. than you kick the field goal or what, you know, however the math works and you kick the field goal and I don't have any chance because I get it. There's a chance you're going to miss the 25 yard field goal, but there's a much better chance. The, the chance of me scoring with 50 seconds left is better than you missing that field goal. And I think Tomlin is one of the worst metagame deciders, uh, decision makers. Thus, I think it's easy to point to him as a bad coach. Here's what I know. If you just look at wins, the worst season the Steelers ever had, and under Tomlin, and correct me if I'm wrong, was 8-8. Eight and eight. They haven't had a losing season. And Brad, pull that up if you may. I, they, they ended up winning, I think, the last four. They were 4-8 and eight one year and ended up winning the last four games, if I remember. But the fact is, how many other than Belichick, what's the longest streak of teams not having a losing season? It's, he's got an, an impressive record, and they won practically all their close games. They were 9-1, and one, the Steelers, Which, in games decided by six points or fewer. Now, usually that's something that regresses because there's a lot of luck, though I think with Big Ben, you know, he is one of those handful of guys that give him the ball down six. Yeah, no worse record than eight and eight. Twice, nine and seven, once, everything else, double digit wins. Yeah. So he's doing something right. Right. And I think in a weird way, Stephen, and I've never said this before, I think the same things that make us not like Tomlin as older school now I'm not near as old school as you, but as older older school guys <laughs> relatively, is the same thing that makes him very successful with the players. Meaning I'm looking at Le'Veon Bell and I'm saying you're going to get paid $15 million or whatever it is. And you're not reporting till September. Like I would say, you know, trade that guy, cut that guy and whatever you lose, you're gaining by making a statement. But it, and maybe I'm right, but it would seem that whatever you, here's what I know. No one is going to have more equity than Belichick. And even do you, it, the fact that you're hearing more negativity about Belichick this offseason than we ever have, is that somehow he's lost the respect of the league, making it to the Super Bowl again? No, it's the people judging him, the players, are changing. And we can use cliches like millennials or whatever, but the same things you don't like about millennials are maybe the things that make Tomlin a good coach for Millennials. You're saying it's very important in today's NFL that the coach be able to relate to the players. There has to be some, of course, some discipline, but he also has to relate to the players. Now, Le'Veon Bell is a good example. Okay, he's a distraction. He's also the best, in my opinion, all-purpose running back in the NFL. Now, do you want to just lose a guy who's the best at his position? Remember, they're paying him 15. If he was on some rookie contract and getting paid $3 million a year, I hear you. Mm-hmm. He's getting... Who's getting paid more? I mean, he's getting paid as much as anyone, and he's unhappy. That seems like the worst of both worlds. Right? It seems like I wait for another running back to come up and pay him the same amount, but he's going to be happy over it. And Antonio Brown, he's probably the best wide receiver. Antonio Brown's probably the my favorite Steeler. 
and he's a pain in the butt. He's well, a major I, no, I distraction. Disagree. I disagree. Oh, come on. He pulled off a lot of stupid shenanigans. I'm, I'm not but saying my he's, point being, RJ, I, well, he's the on. number one wide receiver. But, but I, don't, I don't agree with your point. I think if we're going to judge and say never be on social media, never – you know, listen, obviously it's a mistake to stream from the locker room or whatever. When the coach is giving a speech. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but you add it up. And again, I think it's, uh, listen, I think we got to be very careful as, you know, over, th- you know, Mackey's almost even over 30, over 30 or over 40 year old. And in Steven's case, uh, unknown age, white guys who just, it's too easy to judge because of cultural differences. Hey, Bronco Nogurski never would have done that. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's all kind of, <laughs> you know, we can talk, we can talk about uh, Dick Buckus and all my, my dad never started talking about Dick Buckus. Well, right? He was awesome. I say he, was a beast. he was a beast. <laughs> Let me tell you about Dick Buckus. <laughs> But we got, I do think, though, because we don't have great insight into the culture of professional athletes and all the subcultures, we got to be careful with critiquing them too harshly, but also be confident when we feel like strongly this is unequivocally a distraction. And to me, I look at Le'Veon Bell, and, and what bothers me the most is, and this is inside stuff here, not inside, but fan stuff. The Steelers had a handshake agreement with him before last season in July. It was like this contract was done. And then Bell went back. Who knows what happened? And he said, I'm reneging. And to me, I'm kind of disappointed in the Steelers that they were okay with that. I mean, to some degree, it's a business. I get it. But it's like part of business is, is your word. And you do that with the, then he's then at that point at minimum you should say but listen I am gonna I'm accepting that I'm the tag you know this is last year's perspective and I'm gonna come in early and play as hard as I can or not early but come in when I'm supposed to be in and play as hard as I can and I hope you re, you know reconsider what you think I'm worth but to renege on a long term deal and then be mad that they won't give you whatever it, the next thing you know uh, how much do you want a million dollars deal no 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 you just agreed so that must not be the right deal what about 1.1 million okay deal no no i mean and then finally at 1.3 it's like no we can't pay you that well i'm mad at you then <laughs> i mean it really that's really what it you know to what to some degree what it was so i agree with you steven i think there's a lot of things about tomlin that that and and let's say vince lombardi are very different but i also think some of them are advantages Here's what I hate. Last thing about Tomlin. And I don't know. I've never spoken to Tomlin, but he, he seems like a guy whose confidence in himself has got him so far and it's very far, but it's maybe what's stopping him from taking the last step to be a great coach. Meaning Belichick every, you know, I was uh, lucky enough to have dinner with Mike Lombardi. Uh, I guess it would have been Easter. And he said, one of the things he used to do, I don't think I'm giving anything away here. He said one of the things he used to do for Belichick was he would Belichick would say, here's five teams that I think are doing something very different. Maybe it's fake punts on this team. It's extra points on whatever it is. He goes, I want you to look at every play, write me up, uh, you know, five or six pages on each and we'll decide what we want to implement ourselves. 
Every year he's finding, now who knows if he had other people doing another five or another five. And a guy like Lombardi, who in my opinion is, you know, one of the 50 people in the world to understand football the best, writing up how the Rams are doing a fake punt or whatever, Belichick could sit and go, what could they be doing? I wouldn't, you know, know. Because no one knows more football than Belichick. He's always learning. And I'm not saying Tomlin isn't trying to learn or is like resistant, but boy, you can't be that bad with timeouts and late game stuff. And then keep answering. Well, I go by my gut. I go by my gut. It's like that weakness in close games. Boy, it's a big, big negative to me. All right. Team number four. Speaking of a young coach with a lot of love or a, Straight out of Vegas, co-host Steve Cofield. Straight out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. Calls McVay, the boy genius. What's your thoughts on the Rams? Wouldn't surprise me to see the Rams in the Super Bowl. Uh, they kind of paid their dues this, this past year, and, and they really could take that, that final step and get into the Super Bowl. Not only is McVay an offensive genius, but he could have the greatest defensive coordinator in the history of the NFL with Wade Phillips. Uh, Phillips, he's had top five defenses eight times in his career. And I'm going to make a prediction here on the Rams. They have Nadamika Sue, Aaron Donald, Tlaib, Marcus Peters. I predict they will lead the NFL in fines. <laughs> <laughs> I am not that high on the Rams. Now, obviously, they're a top 10 team. I think he's overrated here, and here's why. I think Goff is an average quarterback, and I think he was put in some great situations, but if you look at his third and eight, or third and greater than eight, below average. And to me, ultimately, a quarterback has to be a game manager. I mean, he has to not make the mistakes in good situations, yes, but you got to be able to throw that third and 12 out when the game's on the line. And just think about that Saints game. I mean, think about how many games come down to that one, you know, when Brady got, uh, you know, up in his uh, in his chest and he fumbled is completing that play. And obviously it wasn't Brady's fault. Pat's maybe win that game. It's at least 50 50 if he doesn't fumble there. And I just I mean, if golf has the ball with two minutes left and 85 yards to go, how many quarterbacks would you, you know, down six? How many quarterbacks would you rather have the ball there? I don't consider Goff an elite quarterback, but RJ, what if he is makes... he even slightly above that? Where do you got Goff one to thirty two? Oh, well, I'd have to really study it. Uh, you know, so off the top of my head, probably around the middle. I but, agree. But RJ, what if he makes the strides that he did on his second year to his third year? I mean, he still could be growing. Oh, he still I, I maybe agree. Hasn't it's possible. His... I, I want to see it. Yeah, right. But if that happens, then oh, I think no you got to put them in the Super Bowl. No, no doubt. I I agree. To me, the problem's golf. And the problem also is Darnold. And I haven't gotten an update the last three or four days. He's mad about his contract, right? Has there been any update on that? Not that I've heard Mackey. Have you heard anything? Yeah, so I think them bringing in Sue, yeah, if everyone's fat and happy, but if right now Darnold would be getting paid half of what Sue's getting paid. And Darnold's maybe the best defender, defensive player in the NFL. Oh, you mean Donald. Yeah, I'm not saying Darnold. You're saying Darnold, yeah. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, Donald is, to me, clearly the best defensive player. And J.J. Watt being the question mark with his injury. Um, if he's happy, and and listen, there's a reason when you get those outlaw-type players, 
like to leave at the end, you know, especially at the end of their career, age wise. I mean, it looks good on paper. And if they play perfect, you know, if they if it goes as well as it could, there's a ton of upside. But obviously they were able to trade for Peters because he's a guy that Kansas City wasn't real happy with, right? These guys have some personality yeah. disorders, <laughs> but they also are capable of playing shutdown uh, one-on-one defense. And if they do that for Wade Phillips, I mean, the Rams are really going to... That, that's when Wade Phillips has had his greatest defenses with Denver, when he's had a pair of shutdown cornerbacks. Uh, Peters is, I, I'd rank Peters among the top five cornerbacks. Tlaib, as you mentioned, RJ, good point. Tlaib's getting up there in years. Still very good, though. Still very effective. And I, I think... We talked about how Jacksonville is more consistent. Boy, I'd much rather have a Rams ticket, let's say, to win the Super Bowl than, uh, you know, and again, I, I obviously more than the Jags, but I think most people would agree with that. But I also think of all the teams in the top five that I think could have a, win less than eight games, I would have the Rams there. I think Rams are high variance this year. Very well said. Couldn't have said it better. And I think that the fact that if they had played it safe, they're probably not a Super Bowl team. Means I like it's almost like we're saying with the Saints. Saints didn't play it safe, but they're on the cusp of a Super Bowl, but they didn't think they could win a Super Bowl playing it safe. They roll the dice. Right. Well, the Rams are rolling the dice here, and I like it, but I think we gotta acknowledge there is a lot of risk involved. You're saying there's there's risk and high variance because of the character element yes. of these players. Yes, and the way they and the and the way they're gonna. This isn't fantasy sports, right? This is how are they in the locker room right. with each other? Maybe they're gonna say, "Hey, you know, be a band of pirates here, and let's show them we can do it." Or maybe it's, "Hey, I've made all the money I need to make, and I'm not taking any BS from you." It's a huge intangible, but let's say they uh, there's no problems. Then I don't think there is variance. Yeah, the, then I think there well, are super. But Bowl in a team. way, you're when you say if that's the variance, you're saying if it goes right, yes, this okay. is maybe the best team in the league. But I think that's an if. All right, great stuff, Stephen. Three teams to go. Talk about the uh, opposite of high variance. A consistent team with, in my opinion, one of the real good coaches in the NFL. Also, a little old school. You'll like him probably, Stephen the Minnesota Vikings, and Zimmer. I disagree with you when you say Ooh. Zimmer's a good coach. Ooh. I think he's a great coach. Oh, he tricked you. <laughs> yeah. He tricked you. <laughs> I, love I was like, Zimmer. what? <laughs> I love Zimmer. <laughs> Somehow I had a feeling. He's been with the Vikings four years. You want to know what his spread record is? I love Jimmy G. Oh. <laughs> hey, I said Zimmer, not oh, Jimmy yeah. G. Okay, Zimmer's four-year record as head coach of the Vikings, 43-21 and 21 against the spread. That's 67%. And uh, I judge how good a coach is with three factors. <clears throat> Excuse me. The eye test, what I read about him, and his spread record. And all three things are off the charts with Zimmer. I really like him and the Vikings. And when you say what you read is you're the t- you're the old school newspaper and you you worked for the Review Journal for how long here in Vegas? Uh, thirteen years. Yeah, so you got that reporter's mentality of listening to the post game press conference, getting a feel for the the character, the nature, uh, the mindset of a coach. In, in today's information overload uh, world, it's not how much you read; it's what you read. You really got to pick your spots because there's only only so much time, and you got to know what's credible and what 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 to read. And uh, 
I, I'm just, you know, real, really high on, on Zimmer. They're going to get a, a hopefully a healthy uh, Delvin Cook back, and uh, that's going to make a, a big difference in their offense. Uh, we know their defense is just rock solid, and, uh, and this is coming from a Packer fan. Now, what do you think you know, about the, the Vikings? Co- what do you so think really about the quarterback signing? I think uh, I don't consider Cousins an elite quarterback. Uh, Fantasy-wise, he's good because he puts up great numbers, but that's the way the Redskins' offense was. They're really uh, relying upon the pass and the quarterback. He's not going to have those kind of numbers with the Vikings, but still, I like him better than Case Keenum. Even though Keenum, if you look at the QBR last year, third best in the league, but it's back to the idea of is it an upgrade not based on what Keenum did, based upon what we would expect Keenum to do this year. I don't know how, Mackie and and Brad, you, you feel about this. I look at Keenum as more as a game manager, where I look at Cousins as a playmaker. He can make plays. No question. The Vikings have upgraded a quarterback. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think when you frame the question the way you just did, RJ, what do we expect from Cousins this year versus what we would expect from Keenum this year, I think surely it's an upgrade. The difficulty with Keenum is that last year, it was his aberration year, and he played so well, and we hadn't seen it before. But when the aberration year is last year, you don't know if it's an aberration or some fundamental change. This and obviously true. Denver felt like it was a, to some degree a fundamental change because you don't give that uh, contract to a journeyman. This is true, but I think the thing that's sticking in all of our minds is that we had seen Keenum play so many snaps prior to last year. And how often do we see a guy make that leap in year five, six, seven, wherever Keenum's at? I agree. I agree 100%. He was set up to win. Dominant defense that would get him field position had enough weapons, two very underrated wide receivers, and uh, good offensive line. He had the weapons. And now you put uh, Cousins there who can really attack downfield, something that I don't think Keenum could do that well. He had to kind of pick his spots. Uh, I, I think it's it's definitely an upgrade. I would agree with you guys. Pregame.com, I am R.J. Bell talking with Stephen Nover, a guy, documented handicapper in the NFL. He's had... You have one the most amazing winning season run I've ever seen. How many years does it go back, and how many years amongst that have you had a winning NFL season? I've had I've been above five hundred in the NFL twenty of the last twenty two years. Pretty good. Pretty now to be clear, above five hundred or above profitable with a minus one ten vig. Uh, I, above five hundred. Okay, so we'll have to double back because I think winning, and again, that's super impressive. Mm-hmm. Winning seasons, though, I think would account for the you know the fifty two point three eight. If you're bad now, if you know any bookies that have uh, no vig, <laughs> I'm into it, baby. I'm into it. All right, this is the last, and we'll get that record straight. But either way, because obviously there's only going to be a, potentially even a handful of years um, out of twenty two. This is the number two team. And this is a team you also disagree, Professor, with Fazek, the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you think they're overrated or underrated? They're a good team, but I just, uh, and I, I understand they won the Super Bowl, but I just, that NFC is so loaded. I, I just, I like other teams better than the Eagles. And uh, the Eagles now, they're going to have the target on their back. And they also lost uh, their offensive coordinator, Frank Reich. He's going to be the Colts head coach. They not only lost him, they lost their quarterback coach, uh, DeFilippo. He's going to be the Vikings offensive coordinator. Another huge feather in Zimmer's hat is he surrounds himself with good assistant coaches. And he took DeFilippo from the Eagles. 
Carson Wentz, he may not be 100% at the start of the season. Uh, so they'll have to resort to Nick Foles? Well, Nick Foles, you know, like you said, played an awesome Super Bowl, but he's he's Nick Foles. You know, it's not a guaranteed thing. So uh, I, I just think number two is, is a little high for them. I tell you, it feels like this team, other than quarterback, let's forget quarterback. And let's also forget the fact that the Eagles could have lost in the first round of the, the division round, their first round against the Falcons. I feel like that other than quarterback, the Eagles have gotten better. Do we agree with that? Yes. Yep. I also think if we're looking at the chance to win the Super Bowl, it doesn't really matter if Wentz is 100% in week one, meaning Foles is going to be serviceable enough that if he even, even if I knew that Foles was, or I'm sorry, Wentz was coming back in week five, as long as I knew he was going to be healthy when he came back, it doesn't make me uh, negative on Philly at all. It just feels like his team gets better. And who knows, by the end of next year, Wentz could be the best quarterback in the NFL. He was heading towards an MVP season. So if you have the best quarterback in the NFL, a team that was able to win with a backup quarterback that got better, I mean, do you really think the Rams, I mean, the, the only two teams, like if the Eagles drop back one, you would have Minnesota move to two. I could kind of see that. Could you possibly have the Rams ahead of the Eagles? Yes, and Ooh. and I I, dis, I disagree, RJ. When you say Foles is from what week one to five, if I understood you correctly, uh, would be as good as Wentz. No, no, I, no. I think there's a, a downgrade. A, no, a drop I think there's there. a downgrade for sure. What I meant was Foles would be an. It would seem he's an average starter in the NFL. Average, I, yes, yeah. But you're talking the number two team in the NFL. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, if you have four games with the average starter, you're okay. You're okay, but you're not some dominant superpower that should be ranked number two. Well, but I guess the question is, is the number two based on week one or is the number two based on what you expect for the season? And I think the number two is what we're expecting for the season. I do think they made a very smart move in keeping Foles. Yeah, and obviously they've been, you know, they consider trading him. Now listen, but let's say it again. If we're talking about for the season and not just week one, you think the Rams are better than the Eagles. Yes. I don't, this is nothing personal here. (laughs) All right. We all know team do, unless you did very poorly on your SATs. Let's see if you can figure it out. Who's number one, 10 49ers, nine Jags, eight green Bay, seven Atlanta, six saints, five Steelers, four Rams, three Minnesota, two Eagles. One is the Patriots. For a team that's number one, and I can't disagree that they should not be ranked number one. You got to you got to put somebody at number one. But very true, man. For a team, with- <laughs> what wisdom? <laughs> uh, as long as I don't hear that damn soundboard, then it's. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, they have peace more- and love, peace and love. <laughs> <laughs> they have more holes than usual for a number one team. The offensive line has issues. Where's the pass rush? They need linebackers. They don't have a shutdown corner anymore. Uh, so, you know, this for a number one ranked team, there's some question marks. Do you, would you have said the same thing about the team last year? Not quite with this many question marks. I thought, so what do you, what do you see as the, the incremental, the additional question marks? Well, they lost their, their left tackle. He'd been a a soldier. He'd been a reliable, uh, left tackle, offensive left tackle for them. I thought they would have a better pass rush than what they shape up to have, although I do like their defensive line. Well, we're varying from the question. 
What is different than last year? You said left tackle. More questions at yeah, but what, what are the questions? Okay, the questions are uh, who plays left tackle for them? They so we heard the question. left tackle part. Yeah, okay, and uh, where do they come up with a pass rush? Where do they uh, come up with really good linebacking? But did, did, did they, they have, have a good? Did they have orders? a good pass rush last year? It was average. You know. So do you think it's gotten significantly sacks. worse? On paper, it looks worse. It looks mm-hmm. a lot worse. They always had kind of a shutdown cornerback. If it was Revis, and then uh, I thought Malcolm Butler was a good player. Yeah, you know? If you look at Pro Football Focus last year, Butler had a horrible season. Now, is that do, do those uh, horrible relative to the idea that he's an elite player? Does that mean that's absolutely correct? I mean, a lot of people trust Pro Football Focus. I wouldn't call him a shut. Listen, Belichick, from all accounts, and who knows? I don't know what happened. By all accounts, it feels like Belichick felt like he had to make a statement and also felt like they weren't losing that much for whatever reason with Butler. If he doesn't think they're losing that much in the Super Bowl with him, without him, how important could he be? Well, do you guys think they would have won the Super Bowl if they would have played Butler? I mean, his not playing him was huge with the Eagles, how they ran up and down the field. Without I think anytime there. there's a close game... You could say, in theory, anything that and one big play changes that game. This wasn't a ten to nine game. They they put up what forty one points. They could have used Butler. So whatever statement he was making, I think it cost him the Super Bowl. And Belichick would probably say, "There's a reason I've won five of them is I make these statements." And you know who's to say? I, I'm not. Here's what I know. I don't want to question uh, grandmasters at chess. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to question Belichick. I'm not going to tell Phil Ivey how to, how to play poker. And I get that it's people's jobs on typical talk radio to always question everything. But I think we got to be very careful of ever questioning what the best coach. I think, quite frankly, we got to be very careful questioning any NFL coach. Well, I could tell Phil Ivey something about sports betting. As, <laughs> as far as coaching. You could, tell, you, you could tell him, no, no, don't bet. 20,000 on that. You should bet $20 on that. <laughs> the nitty professor. All right. Last thoughts on the Pats. No, I, I, I think Belichick's one of the greatest coaches of all time. I, I'd rank him third all time. So third, uh, uh, who you oh, got one uh, in <laughs> Lombardi's one. Who's who's second? Then? Bill Walsh. Oh, oh. I don't know. Ooh. But if you say Belichick's number two, did you just two, do a fist pump? A Vikings fan. You're a Vikings fan. What's that got to do with Bill Walsh? Oh, I was thinking Bud Grant. That's my bad. Oh, jeez. I was like, I was so happy. And your your response was the coach that was 0 4 in Super Bowls was the best, and and perhaps the best coach of all time? I'll be quiet. Hey, listen, I don't want you to take this personally, Mac. All right, Steven. I disagree with a decent amount of what you said, but there was a lot of good nuggets in there. Okay. Let's keep it going. You're listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. All right. We're doing the same thing in college football, though I can't question Brad nearly as much because I don't have the expertise. I do know Bud Grant's not the second best. But you do have the soundboard. I do. I do. At any time. At any time, Stephen. God, that thing's feared. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's great. Feared. <laughs> oh, I hate this. <laughs> Sick and tired of hearing that. <laughs> All right, baby. The 10 teams that move the most, the Vegas, the batters have the biggest opinions on. Let's start with, you decide, overrated or underrated, but we're going to do those five first. We'll start with the five bet on teams that the market has been betting, whether it be... So they consider them underrated at the time of the bet. Absolutely. And you're going to like this, RJ. We're going to start with that team up north, the Michigan Wolverines, that have been really attacked, I would say, on a week-to-week basis. Not necessarily season win totals, but biggest line move in week one was the betters attacked Michigan against Notre Dame. And a lot of it was Michigan because you look at some of the other games, Michigan plus seven to a one-and-a-half point favorite against Notre Dame, also attacked against a good Michigan State team where they opened a dog, now a favorite against Michigan State. Even against Ohio State, the team that Michigan is 1-13 against the last 14 years, that line has dropped a couple of points against the Buckeyes. Here's where they're not attacking Michigan. They're not attacking Michigan necessarily in the season win total market. And here's the thing with the Wolverines this year. I think they're a legit top 10 team. 17 returning starters, major upgrade at quarterback with Shea Patterson, but the schedule, one of the top five difficult schedules in the country, at Notre Dame, at Michigan State, at Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, that's five top 12 teams. So I think where they are overrated right now, futures market. Michigan's like 10 to 1 to win the national title. RJ, I wish I could bet the no on that. So it's another example, and I think a really good one, of how it's not just how good a team is. It's if it's an individual game, how's that matchup? How's that situation? It's also how tough is their schedule? All the different factors in these preseason bets. But you've zeroed in and said, well, they have a very tough schedule, so the pros aren't betting on them so much with win totals, but rather finding good spots in the season and betting the games. Absolutely. And I think that the square betters are liking Michigan as far as the futures market because I can't make sense of Michigan being a 10 to 1, the fifth with the fifth shortest odds to win the national title this year. Yeah. And in my opinion, anytime you're betting Michigan, it's got a, <laughs> a little square element to it. <laughs> I bet him against Notre Dame. That's the only bet I made on Michigan so far. And that was a big move in week one, right? Yeah, got the Wolverines plus six. Now they're a one and a half point favorite, going to a two point favorite. Very happy with that bet right now. All right, next team. Texas. Here's a team that I had multiple, at least maximum limit bets, at least of what they allowed at the time to bet me. Texas, they're really attacking the game of the year market, not necessarily week one or season win total. All of Texas's game of the years moved significantly. One against USC in week two. Texas opened a dog, now a three-point favorite. Against Oklahoma, the big rivalry game. Double-digit underdog was Texas opening up, now only a six-point underdog. They flipped a three-point favorite against TCU in a pick game. The market and the professional bettors are betting Texas. What do they like about Texas? Is a team that was seven and six first year under Tom Herman last year. Very easily could have won nine or ten games. Lost four games by five points or less against some really good teams like Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, USC in double overtime. I think in year two, Texas makes that additional uh, jump up. And for the first time in six years, I think Texas actually exceeds expectations. I, I tend to like that one too. Um, I don't think people have a sense of how big the recruiting advantage in Texas is for Texas and how you look at Oklahoma's roster. It's really, how can you recruit Texas is like such a big question. And sometimes when you see these 
uh, lesser known Texas teams like Bale or Surge. It's because of some confluence of the coach they've got or maybe one or two recruiters that are so plugged into the high school system down there. And they're getting a few of these guys at Texas. Don't have to pick from anymore, but they're in the game, Texas, with all these guys. And when a Baylor gets a couple of them, they end up having great years, you know, in a couple of years when they're juniors and seniors. So with the right coach, uh, I think, you know, that's an interesting question. If I would say how many wins a team will have in the next five years, how many teams do you take above Texas right now? Maybe four or five. Yeah, they're right there. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up recruiting, number three recruiting class in the country coming in for Texas, their highest class in like six or seven years. So betting on Michigan, betting on Texas, next team. Betting on Washington, and specifically, just in the futures market, the biggest mover in the futures market is the Huskies. Open 40-1. to 1. Now across town, the average for Washington, 15-1. to 1. What are they seeing? They're seeing a team with 17 returning starters for the Huskies this year. They see a top-five coach in Chris Peterson, a team that's won back-to-back years at least 10 games. They see the best secondary possibly in the country. And schedule-wise, Washington very favorable. If Washington can upset Auburn in the opener, where they're about a three-point dog, Washington will at least at least be a favorite by a touchdown or more in the remaining 11 games. I think they're the clear-cut favorite in the Pac-12, and they're 11-1, and 12-0. I think they're a team that can make the college football playoff. I bet them in that futures market at 41. Very happy with that ticket. And if you're going to have a loss, having it early helps. And if, especially if it's a close loss to a highly ranked team like Auburn in SEC country, that could be a quality loss. Where do you rank the Washington coach as best coach uh, if you're having a team one year? One year. Probably fifth. I, th- I think he's the best coach out there right now in the country that hasn't won a national title. And only four have won a national title right now. So there's only four active coaches? Yeah, can one- you believe that? Well, when you got Nick Saban and Urban Myers won nine of the last 15 national titles, there's not many guys left. And then you got, uh, obviously, Dabo Sweeney and Jimbo Fisher. That's it. Wowza. That's a heck of a stat. That sounds like a good RJ in Vegas tweet. I know, and I'll have to give you credit on that. So in the last high, only four active coaches. Only four active coaches with a national title ring. Very impressive. And listen, you have to choose between Brad and I. I mean, following us on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. But you don't have to. It's at Brad Powers 7 for that kind of info. At Brad Powers 7. Last team getting bet on. I still got two more. Oh, okay. Uh, one is Nebraska. The, one of the last two is Nebraska. And they're attacking Nebraska in specific games. Week one against Akron. That line has climbed from 18 to 21. Game of the year lines. Three point line move in favor of Nebraska against Iowa. Went from 8 to 5. Northwestern, they're, they're betting Nebraska in that particular game. Even against Wisconsin, they're betting on Nebraska. And what are they seeing with Nebraska? A team that came off their worst season in 50 years. A lot of hype for Scott Frost. I think some of it's deserved. Scott Frost inherited an 0-12 UCF team. First year won six games. So he has at least a past you know, the resume of improving a team immediately. I think, to me, I don't have any Nebraska tickets as of right now. I actually think they might be slightly overrated in the market with all this line move. I think it's you look at their season win total, it's sitting right around six. That's where I have it for the Huskers. I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode with them right now. If we talked about Frost in the next five years, are you optimistic? I am optimistic. I think there's more potential, obviously, for upward trajectory in the Big Ten West. It'd be a different story if he's in the East with Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State. But I, I would, if I had to make a bet, I would say Nebraska second only to Wisconsin next five years, most wins. 
Okay, last team now, the fifth that they're betting on. Slightly betting on the Florida Gators, but this is going to be a wink-wink, go-to-work now because I have some inside information. There's going to be a popular preseason magazine coming out, Phil Steele's magazine. Worked for it for seven years. Not going to hit the new stance for three weeks, but I'm going to tell you right now, Phil Steele's number one most improved team is Florida. I also like Florida. You've seen them, their season win total go from seven to seven and a half. Game of the year lines, slight movement, couple of points here and there. I think if you're going to bet Florida, now's the time to do it. Also a team like Nebraska, off one of their worst seasons in 40 years. Very experienced team, 17 returning starters. Love their new head coach and Dan Mullins. Significant upgrade there. Like Florida there. I already bet them over their season win total and got, took a flyer, 100 to one to win the national title on a small bet. Uh, Brad, question: When Phil Steele's magazine comes out, it, it it is very influential. Is it influential enough where, uh, when that comes out, that information that you mentioned about Florida, where the their win total could even move up higher because of that? I, I mean, it doesn't move always, but when you're talking specifically his number one surprise team, if he's got a team that's you know ten spots higher in his top twenty five than anybody else out in the market, I would say more often than not, not always. But a lot of times, at least the, the betters out there and even the professional guys are going to use that magazine and bet on that team. And I think it's part of the narrative, right? If other people are saying it's a Florida, 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 then it can, I think, move markets for sure. If anyone's out on an island, I don't think anyone is that influential. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, before we go on the teams that are being bet against, faded, you have been sharing every week right here on the Dream Preview and speaking of this podcast feed, we've got uh, Friday, the Belmont. And let me tell you, Fred Fowler, a horse racing expert, and I do our Belmont po- podcast, our Triple Crown, each of the three races. And he was waiting for Justify to win in the Preakness because he believes there's some real opportunities off that. So... Ton of free info there. If you're not subscribed to this podcast, you won't miss any. Just go to your favorite pod player, subscribe to the Dream Preview, or just search for RJ Bell on any pod player and subscribe. And Friday, that's coming out. And Dave Esler is going to actually be on that pod with his overrated baseball, underrated baseball, and a free pick for Saturday. And that comes out Friday morning. But right here, also on our Fox National show, straight out of Vegas. Friday, Saturday nights, you've been sharing a ton of info. And then as the markets have opened up, you've been batting them. People have been following you, taking advantage. But you've made a bunch of game of the year bets. And on the show, you talked about that on average, the lines have already moved. How many points? Five points on the bets. And how many bets have you made? I made 22 bets so far. And right now, on average, you have five points, the better of it. Five points, the better of the line so far. Ace Rothstein was a hell of a handicapper. I can tell you that. I was so good that whenever I bet, I could change the odds for every bookmaker in the country. There you go. It's pretty impressive. All right, let's switch gears. Who is being, what teams bet against? Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, it's not anything specific. They're betting against Notre Dame across the board, whether it be week one against Michigan, where Notre Dame went from a touchdown favorite, now a dog. Game of the year line, Stanford crossed right through a key seven number where Notre Dame was favored by eight, now six. Against Florida State, favored by ten, now seven. Against Northwestern, crossing through a key seven number, eight-point favorite, now a six-point favorite. Season win total for Notre Dame, 
bet down nine and a half to nine. What are the better seeing? First and foremost, they see Notre Dame losing their two best players on the offensive line. Two top 10 NFL draft picks, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, seeing Notre Dame lose their top rusher, top receiver. Their two best assistant coaches, including their offensive line coaches, was a little under the radar there. They see a quarterback in Brandon Wimbush that was inconsistent throwing the ball last year, less than 50%. And it's a tough schedule for Notre Dame. And Here's, here's something that Notre Dame hasn't done in a quarter century. Win 10 games back-to-back seasons. And right now, if you're betting Notre Dame over nine wins, you need them to do something they haven't done in a quarter century. That's why I bet Notre Dame under nine and a half. And I still think there's some slight value under nine wins for Notre Dame. I think it's an eight and four type of team. Now, how much of your bet has to do with that trend? Because, boy, that, that feels like one... I'm not even sure what the logic would be other than... If you just say, hey, the baseline of where Notre Dame is is not double-digit wins, then I, I can accept that. That's what it would but I don't think having double-digit wins the year before makes it less of a chance of having it this year. Oh, I would agree with that. But You would but, agree that's but, not the case. Hold on. I, I'm glad you brought that up because what I've seen from Notre Dame the last 25 years, they're a good team when everyone throws them in the trash. Uh, they're, they're a good underdog type of team. Well, we're talking about straight up wins here, right? Yeah, we're just talking straight up wins. But once when Notre Dame is at least, you know, I perceive them to be overvalued, and I would say Notre Dame on the holes overvalued because they're a public team. But when they're talked up like they are this year, a preseason top ten team, more often than not, when Notre Dame gets that preseason love, they're more likely to disappoint than vice versa. Next team. Uh, let's go with Arizona State. And if you're listening to this podcast a few weeks ago, my single biggest factor that was going to influence one of my biggest bets of the offseason was the hire of Herm Edwards. And let's just say, not a fan of Herm Edwards, who hasn't coached a single game in a decade, hasn't coached on the college scene since 1989. And Arizona State's getting bet across the board against the Sun Devils. Season win total from five to four and a half. One of the biggest game of the year line movers moved a touchdown where they went a nine-point underdog at Oregon, now a 16-point underdog. Arizona State team that actually overachieved last year, got rid of their coach. Was The ex- expectation was, we need a CEO type of coach. So we're going to keep our offense and defense coordinators. Well, that didn't work out. Both offense and defense coordinators left. So we bring in Herm Edwards. Not really a fan of the offense coordinator hire for him. Not a fan of Herm Edwards. And definitely not a fan of a schedule. Top 10 in the country in terms of difficulty. I only think Arizona State's going to be favored in three or four games this year. That's why I have my biggest bet right now, season win totals, Arizona State under five. You know what's good about you, Brad, is you're very comfortable giving yourself credit. (laughs) Right. I mean, because some a lot people, this time of year, I mean, yes. some people might wait and, and let other someone else say, hey, you had some Arizona State. But no, you just went right into it. You know, I can't help it that I'm custom made. I can't help it that I look good, smell good, can dance all night long. <laughs> you know, Love I, it. I, I thought, Brad, that Herb Edwards hiring was just bizarre. I mean. Why, why, what, Jerry Glanville was unavailable? Why did they go to Herm Edwards, you know? <laughs> well, what it was, and the Arizona Athletic Director, Ray Anderson, has been longtime friends with Herm Edwards, same agent and everything, so there's kind of a past history there, and I've seen more often than not, not always, but those types of hirings, you know, hiring your cronies, whether it be assistant coaches or head coaches, don't always work out. Well, you, you just explained it, because Herm Edwards had his time, and I, I think his time is well past, and... Well, but listen, let's be honest. How much of the Raiders hire has to do with TV brand? And I mean, if you look at politics and we can, you know, obviously half the country thinks it's stupid. Half the country probably doesn't. 
but the you know Trump looks and President Trump looks and says, "Okay, this guy's really smart on TV. That must mean something." Well, hey, this coach looks really smart on TV. Must mean something. This is a TV culture today. So, if the goal of winning for Arizona State is winning games, maybe it's not a great hire. If the goal is for that GM or for that AD slash GM to be like, oh, you got a good hire there. You got that guy from TV. You know, you just got to wonder what is the ultimate goal of this Arizona State? Is it to win games? Or because I, I don't think. We're not talking about this team being horrible. I mean, if, if let me ask you this question. If Edwards coaches five years, would you say over under for, if I made the bowls uh, that they played in in five years over under one and a half? I, I might go over. And I'm glad you brought that up because we did see him close very strong in the recruiting rankings. And I'm more selling Arizona State this year because I think there's got to be a transition. He hasn't coached in a decade. I actually think from year two on, it might actually be more of a positive than what I'm perceiving to be a negative. Because right now. maybe it will take him a year or two to yep. get that kind of CEO going. But how much does it help recruiting to have a, the guy that these kids grew up watching on TV, right? And then how much does it help with donations, right? If you're going to get to hang out with this guy that was the head coach, let's say that's unknown at Bowling Green, but boy, he's got a good offense. You know, he's really schematically strong. How much money are they giving for that? Now, once you start winning, Urban Meyer was once a guy like that. Yeah, that's good enough. But how many of these really, quote unquote, good young coaches that were coaching in a much smaller conference, what are they, 50-50 working out at best? All right, we'll give Edwards a chance. I just think he's going to. No, I agree with you. I think if we're looking at it old school and just counting up the wins this year, especially probably not a good hire, but it seems like there's. Uh, long-term recruiting benefits. It seems like the GM's going to, hey, great job hiring Herm Edwards, man. What a get. I I think there's a lot of elements other than wins this year. I think he's really going to fit that pattern of great recruiter, horrible coach. Which, if if he's a great recruiter and you're at Arizona State, you're probably going to do better with him than you were with most. If you got bad coaching, you're not going to win, though. How how many coaching decisions is he going to make, ultimately? If he's got a pair of good coordinators, uh, maybe not that many. Be interesting. And you, I mean, listen, you can agree or disagree with the religious side, but obviously culturally very old school, very strong. And also another thing these ADs are looking to avoid is, is controversy. Look at a guy like Mark Mangino is one of the biggest, most amazing results we ever saw was Kansas winning the orange bowl 10 years ago, this January, I was at the game. Um, my best friend was on that staff And he, you know, the AD and him weren't getting along. A couple reports come in. He's shaking. You know, again, I don't want to try to act like I know all the story. But by all accounts, if him and the AD were fine, you would never even heard about it. AD gets it in the paper. Story starts up. Next year, they they don't play. You know, they're going towards 500. Guy gets fired. There's so much politics in this in, in college sports. To me, too much. I would agree with that. Now, Kansas on pace to have the worst decade, this decade, of any Power 5 team in the history of college football. With Tlaib, won the Orange Bowl. Won. Not made the Orange Bowl. Won the Orange Bowl. 
Nice team. USC. And here's one where the betters are really attacking USC specifically, and I think it makes a lot of sense. They are attacking USC early on in the season. Why? USC, first time since 1980, have to replace a starting quarterback, their leading rusher, their top receiver, and there's a more than 50% chance that their starting quarterback could be a true freshman, an 18-year-old kid by the name of JT Daniels. So, Big line movements their first three games of the season. They're even betting UNLV. That number is crossed right through a key 28. Against, on the road, their first two road games for USC. At Stanford, that line's moved several points where uh, USC's gone from basically pick them to a three-point dog. And against Texas, a team that the betters are on, that line's moved four points. USC's went from a one-point favorite to a three-point dog. I agree with the betters here. Fade USC early. And you look at Clay Helton the last three years, even counting his year where he took over as the interim, He's been a slow starter. Them first two, three games have been the worst look of USC all season. I was with the betters and bet against USC early. But I think at the end of the season, team could have a lot of upside. And you're you're going against the brand, too, yeah. which I like. And, and the geographic proximity, a lot of USC betters here on the weekends. Next team. Louisville. And they're fading Louisville, I think, because of one player, Lamar Jackson. RJ, you and I last year on the podcast talked about Lamar Jackson probably makes Louisville overrated. Don't believe us. I mean, the last 22 games that he started since that big first four or five games of the 2016 season, Louisville was 7-15 and 15 against the spread. Now without Lamar Jackson, everyone's fading the Cardinals. And I actually think I'm not agreeing with the betters here. There has a point here where I think Louisville goes from being overrated last two years to being underrated. Why? I think Lamar Jackson's replacement is capable. Juwan Pass, 6'4", 230, a high-level four-star recruit, top 10 recruit that Louisville normally doesn't get. He's bigger. He's stronger. I think he's going to be a better passer than Lamar Jackson. Definitely not an explosive an athlete like Lamar was, but I actually think I disagree with the betters here. Louisville now underrated. I don't agree with fading Louisville blindly here, and they've been fading them almost on a week-to-week basis. And, guys, you can listen. Brad is a guy watching the spring games, and you might say, how does that help? Maybe it doesn't necessarily when it comes to this year, though it it does some, but you know where it does a lot is that guy that's behind the guy, because soon enough, that's going to be the guy, and it takes – Typically, a handicapper half a season to figure out that next guy. Brad hasn't figured out before he's even playing on TV because he's watching the streams. I read nine newspapers a day. <laughs> I mean, who can complain about that? How many teams we got left? One. And yeah, it, one. So this is one. This is one. And uh, it's the hold only on, gr- hold, hold on. Hold your horses. Right. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five. Four, three, two, one. The only group of five team to make the list, and I think deservedly so. The self-proclaimed defending national champs, UCF, Central Florida, that went thirteen and zero last year. Batters are fading UCF, specifically game by game basis. Week one line move against UConn, five points against UCF. Five point line move against UCF early on in their road trip to North Carolina. Moves against them in the Memphis game, the South Florida game later in the season. Here's what betters are betting against UCF, and here's why. Number one, they lost Scott Frost, one of the best up-and-coming, at least, coaches in the country, and their entire coaching staff left with Scott Frost and went to Nebraska with him. You look at a team that benefited from four close wins, all by a touchdown or less last year, unlikely to replicate itself this year, plus 17 in turnovers. This was a fortunate team, and here's also a team that, 
is go, going from the hunt, the hunter to the hunted. Now that self-proclaimed national champs, I think could be a negative factor for UCF. I think they get the A game from about every single one of their opponents. That's why the betters are fading UCF and I'm fading UCF. I have multiple max bets against them. All right, Mr. Brad Powers, excellent stuff. We got one commercial break, then a best bet from Brad on week one of the college football season. You can bet it now. And then NBA Finals Game 3 talk in a moment. Oh, True Car, our old friend. Here are some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. And you can place your key fob on your chin to increase its range. Weird, right? Well, here's another tip for you. You also might not know about True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users can see what others paid. So they know if they're getting a good deal before buying, they're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car's certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states, but you know what that means. If it's available in yours, it's worth taking advantage of. Now, Podcast One, the Dream Preview is part of that family. We're part of the Adam Carolla family within Podcast One. Is They're doing a survey. And listen, if you're listening here, you probably like podcasts or maybe you're a little new to podcasts. It's an industry that needs to be professionalized. If you get the pros in, then there's going to be more money in it. And that means more talent in it. And podcast one, in my opinion, and we had a choice, really. We had our choice. I think it's fair to say it was our choice of any of these big networks out there. And undoubtedly podcast one came out on top when we did our assessment. So here's what they want to do in this survey. Let me read through it here. Okay. So they're saying, Hey, why would you do this? It's going to help the podcast stay free to download with minimal ads. Um, it will help find the right advertisers for a given audience. It's short and it's uh, completely anonymous. No more than five minutes. There's two easy ways to take the survey. Go to podcastone.com. That's all spelled out. Podcast, then O-N-E dot com slash my survey. Or you can go to podcastone.com and click the survey banner. And if you filled out a survey in the past, do it again. They want to hear from you again. And you can do all of us at, it says insert name. So at the dream preview and podcast one, a huge favor by filling it out. and. Now, they're telling you to say thanks for supporting my program and taking the time to complete. But, guys, you know how much I appreciate you supporting the program. So if you have any inclination to help the Podcast One experience, check it out, podcastone.com. Click the survey button. Tell them where you came from and tell them what you think. Okay, last ad. Speaking of Podcast One, we always talk about Bet DSI and how they made a big financial commitment to Podcast One and the response from this show has been excellent. And that's why they want to advertise here. And it makes sense this week, UFC 225, NBA finals game three 
on Wednesday, game four on Friday. If you're betting this time of year, it's probably a good time to test out another out if you're inclined. Because, the and I feel this unequivocally, the easiest way to improve anyone's results, if you have less than three outs, if you have three outs, hey, a fourth helps, no doubt. But there's diminishing returns. The biggest jump is from one to two outs. If you only have one, going to two is humongous. But even if you have two, going to three is humongous. Not quite as humongous, but still humongous. Once you're at three, yeah, four is good. But boy, if you have less than three, test it out. And, you know, what's there's all kind of books out there. To me, the question is, how big are you betting? If you're betting two, three thousand a game, and that's a minority, that's a small minority of listeners. You know, there's a lot of books that probably can do some good things for you. But if you're betting that less than a hundred a game, especially, but not, let's say you're not betting more than a nickel a game. What are you looking for? You're looking for in-game offerings. You're looking to be, you know, feel confident you're going to get paid, obviously. And I think bet DSI delivers in those areas. 20 years in business, highly rated at the review sites. And we've got a special promo code dream 25. So that's all one word dream 25. And their offer right now is when you make your first deposit, you can get up to $2,500 free on your first deposit. So all the details at betdsi.com and make sure you use dream 25 as the promo code. That's all one word dream 25. And you get to take advantage of that very special offer betdsi.com. All right, Brad, before your best bet, let's talk a little bit about, let's hear wise guys whine might be the way to say it. I'm not, I'm just going to let you go. Well, I mean, today, a historic day in the industry of gambling where Delaware became the first state after uh, the, the new laws were struck down from the Supreme Court to be able to sports bet. And reading through the final. So just to be clear, it was the one team, or because Delaware had yep. been taking parlays. Yep, they had been taking three team NFL parlays, but you're allowed to now bet sports legally in the state of Delaware. So th- that's a positive, no doubt about it. Happy that more people, at least on the East Coast, can bet. Here's what I didn't like reading through the fine uh, tune uh, of some of the stories out there. Every $1,000 bet that's made has to get approval from either the managers, sportsbook directors, you name it. To me, if that's where we're heading in this sportsbook industry, a $1,000 bet needs approval. I don't like it. So there's my rant. This has been a weekly edition <laughs> of Here Wise Guys Wine. Wow, that close. Very nicely done, RJ. Very good addition. <laughs> Let's go. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Week 
one college football. Yeah, and an uh, isolated game on Sunday night. We're taking Miami, Florida minus two and a half over LSU. Right now we're buying the Hurricanes low. Why, why am I saying low? Well, Miami last year started off the season 10-0, and lost their last three games of the season, but I think there was extenuating circumstances. They lost their run, top running back, their top wide receiver, their top tight end, therefore their quarterback, Malik Rozier. Why is everyone wondering why he was struggling in the last three games of the season? Well, when you lose your top three offensive weapons, that could explain a lot of it. And meanwhile, it's also, for me, not only a buy on Miami low, but it's also a fade against an LSU team that could be the worst team they've had down there in Baton Rouge in the last two decades. LSU has won at least eight games every year since 1999. Season win total for LSU right now, seven, seven and a half. I am not running the window, and no one really is to bet the over. Here's an LSU team for the first time since 1974 does not have a running back coming back with a rushing touchdown. It is also an LSU team that is dead last in the country out of the Power 5 teams. Returning experience, only nine returning starters, and it's an LSU team with an overrated head coach at Orgeron. I got the better team, the better coach, buying low, selling high. Give me the Hurricanes minus two and a half. Brad Powers strutting his stuff. This guy knows his stuff and his presentation just keeps getting better and better. Brad Powers seven, the mysterious number seven on Twitter. Great, great stuff. All right, guys, last thing we're talking NBA. Now, if you're listening past Wednesday's game, we're still going to talk about, Hey, how do you handicap game four and stuff? But if you need to jump off, it probably won't be so bad. But if you're listening early, obviously, this is uh, very topical. Okay, Mackie, you nervous? A little bit. A little bit? Yeah. All right. Well, just think, the more nervous you are, the more I'll harass you. (laughs) So this is called negative reinforcement. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) What's your take? And, and, And again, you sent me some written analysis I agreed with strongly, and then some I didn't. So, but... Going into game three, what, what are we looking at now? What, what's the latest line? I haven't tried for a few hours. Golden State, a four-and-a-half-point favorite. All right. What do you think is the number one handicapping factor? Well, to me, the clear takeaway from game two was that Cleveland just had no answer for Golden State and what Golden State was trying to do on offense. Golden State got excellent shots throughout the night, both from the perimeter and in the paint. So to me, as I'm looking at game three, I'm trying to identify a way that Cleveland solves that problem, and I'm not finding a way that they do. Now, how would you characterize the way it was, quote-unquote, solved in Game 1? In Game 1, what I thought kept Cleveland in the game is that they would just... Well, first of all, they a, weren't kept in the game. They they certainly should have won the game. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, oh, they were within seven. and It was their game to take. Now, we can debate how much of an indictment it is they didn't take it, but they certainly played an e- at, at, at worst from the Cleveland perspective, an even game. Well, in game one, what I thought the key difference was defensively for Cleveland is that golden state hadn't had a chance to adjust to how Cleveland was guarding them. So I thought in game two, it was very clear that golden state had identified that Cleveland was going to switch every screen. They started slipping screens. They started, so wait, they played three, they played three, years in the finals and two games a year. So two plus the finals, two plus the finals, two plus the finals, two this year. And Ty Lu just sprung this amazing defense. It was like, Oh man, what we can't figure this out. Is that I'm confused. Like they weren't switching last year. 
when you put it that way, it sounds awful, but there was a clear difference between game one and how Golden State was able to execute in game two. And what stuck out to me was. And, the and obviously, that just glance at the scoreboard tells us that. So. Here's why I disagree with this, just this general premise. I don't think Cleveland's ever stopping Golden State. They might have a bad shooting day, but this is one of the best offenses of the last in the history of the NBA, right? So I think what happened was, and we said it on straight out of Vegas, game two was either going to be, okay, we could have won game one, let's go out and win game two, or it was more human nature Hey, this was such a crushing disappointment. It's going to be hard to turn it around, even with a you know two days off. I think they probably did a little better effort wise than I would have guessed, assuming that it went the bad way. As in, it seemed like they were still the aftermath was still lingering. But couldn't we come? Out, I mean, how different would the narrative be if Cleveland had won Game One? Significantly different, right? It would have been, hey. Cleveland won. Now, listen, what could we expect it in game two? I mean, Golden State wasn't going to get, you know, swept it or, you know, uh, both games at home. They weren't going to lose. So literally a free throw from an 80% free throw shooter is the difference between us saying, boy, this is uh, not even a close series to saying, wow, Cleveland impressed. Cleveland's improved their chances from winning that one game. So, I think it becomes too easy when Golden State has the easier win or easy win in game two to say this is a sign of the futility of the Cavs. That's why I'm trying to draw in. And maybe you've got something that's going to convince me otherwise. And Steven, jump in here. I feel like game two is less pertinent. Now, if you're right that there's some X's and O's change that the Ty Lue won't have any way to react to. And after all these series, they finally cracked the Cleveland defensive code, even at another level. Because obviously they've been successful against Cleveland, but they're a step up because of what they did between game one and two. And that's a different conversation. If it's a question of Cleveland, because of the aftermath of game one, didn't play great in game two, but man, the way they played in game one was very impressive. Now they're home in a true must-win spot. It feels like this is the game that that I don't think game two makes game three a foregone conclusion. And I'm not saying you're saying that exactly, but in a way you're saying they can't guard them, which means how does Cleveland win? If mm-hmm. Cleveland has a defensive code, it's one, two, three. They just don't have the defense to stop Golden State. And Did they have it in game one? No, I don't think uh, they have to outscore them, and that's putting it very. But did we know that? Did we know that before the season, before the series? You figured they would get better bench play, and the Cavaliers are just. But I know, I know you want to shift play. to the bench, but I want to talk okay. about defense on Cleveland. Here's my question: If I would have asked you to bet Game Three before the series started versus now, are you more or less confident if you were looking to bet Cleveland? Let me say it another way. No, I follow you. I, I would be less confident. So the first two games have caused you to downgrade the Cavs? Yes. Wow. I thought their defense would be... Uh, I just don't think they have the defense. I, I think I think J.R. Smith killed him. He killed him in game one. He killed him in game two mentally. So you think the aftermath extends to game three? If you had to pick an MVP for Golden State, it would be Stephen Curry one, J.R. Smith two. I, I think he's just killed them. I mean, they're going to give their, their their great effort in game three. You're going to get their A effort. I just don't think they have the defense. 
Mackie, let me ask you the same question is have you upgraded whatever the relative difference between Cleveland and Golden State? Has that increased or decreased in your mind from before the series till now? To me, it stayed the same. And how, so you expected Cleveland to be that close to winning a game? They were eight to one to win either of those games. If you would have said Cavs to win, it's going to be about eight to one. No, you know that's that's a good point. I didn't expect them to play Golden State as closely as they did in Game One. So I think I would probably slight upgrade to Cleveland. But I think an additional point that you made is that Cleveland showed excellent resilience in Game Two because Golden State. Kept I think excellent might be strong, but they certainly. They were they had some resistance. I think so. I mean, Golden State delivered some really good textbook Golden State punches in that game too. They lost where the lead 19. was jumping from yeah. seven to fifteen, and then Cleveland would cut it back down. They, they just fighting. never could they string enough. Fighting. Yeah. Well, it's a championship series. Of course, they're going to keep fighting. They lost <sighs> by nineteen points in game two. But we see, I, I, we see all. Listen, no one's debating is are the Cavs the better or is Golden State the better team? The question is if. The Cavs had lost by 40 in game two. I wouldn't have been all that shocked just because of the emotional. I mean, you just said it. That loss in game one was tough. Brett. Yeah, I've actually upgraded Cleveland. I, I thought this would be a quick series. Uh, it I, still could be. but yeah, I mean, I'm a square bet. I bet with the Warriors in exact series 4-0, to pick up a half unit plus 160 on both of those. So I was stunned, shocked that Cleveland was able to compete with Golden State the way they did in game one. Game two, I, I didn't necessarily downgrade Cleveland. I thought it was a high variance game where Cleveland could possibly win the game outright or get beat by 40 points. The 19 point loss for me really didn't affect my power rating on Cleveland. They're still positive so far in the series as far as I'm concerned. And there's been a wise guy trend going around that's applicable here. So we've talked about the zigzag a good bit where if the series is going one way, it tends to go the other way because the one team is desperate to change the direction. Zig and zag team at home down. Oh, two is desperate, but there's even a section of that game with the, with more desperation, which is the first half. Now, what's the trend? Trend is if you're backing the home team that's down 2-0 in the series, and this trend makes perfect sense. They're desperate. They're at home. Game three. If you're backing that team in the first half, last four years, betting on that team down 0-2 in the first half at home, 33-5 and against the spread. 33-5 and against the spread. Now, it's starting to get priced into the number, but still, even with that price inflation this year, Five and two against the spread so far this year. If you're betting that team down 0-2 at home in Game Three in the first half. Now, Nova, you were getting into the idea of the Cavs bench. So specifically, because obviously the bench hasn't been great this year, hasn't been great after the trade. Where's the disappointment in your mind? Well, Golden State, you have Javel McGee and Sean Livingston. They're a combined. 17 for 18 from the floor shooting for Golden State. And uh, the flip side, Cleveland's bench, it's done nothing. Uh, Corver hasn't done anything. Clarkson's been terrible. Uh, Jeff Green hasn't played well. Uh, uh, Corver was one of six shooting in, in game two. And uh, I, Cleveland have any shot. I just think they're, they've got to get better bench play. They've got to have guys stepping up, and they're, they're not doing it. It's just LeBron all by himself. And I mean the, the the book in the NBA is bench players, lesser players play much better at home. And usually the superstars can play well on the road, but the bench players can't. That's a big difference. I think you're going to see. First of all, LeBron doesn't want to be embarrassed. 
And number two, you win two games. Uh, you got to be confident as all get out. I mean, not that you're the favorite, but you already almost beat this Golden State team at home. You just got you got two shots there, and you got to hold one more. You know, if Cleveland can hold at home, they've got two shots to spring an upset. Yeah, I mean, and you're also talking high variance players, Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith. I mean, I'd much rather back them at home than on the road. And these are three point shooters coming off poor performances. We've seen both of those guys have that five out of six, six out of eight type performance. I'd much likely think it would occur here in game three than at any point at Golden State. I just don't ever want to back J.R. Smith, you know, home or road. I, I think he's a loser, and you don't win titles with a guy like that. They won one, down 3-1. They got their first title in Cleveland in 50-plus years with him. He took off his shirt in the parade. I was at that parade. <laughs> but the nitty professor doesn't like those he, the millennials, Davey. He's old. He's from the school they tore down to build the old school. <laughs> Steven Nover. All right. Oh, one last thing on this game, and then I want to talk a little game four is McGee. You feel like that there's a specific matchup here that makes him especially effective relative to expectations for the Warriors. The Warriors hardly used him against the Rockets because the Rockets had a, a much tougher defense and he didn't really fit in well against that opponent. But he's he's really made a difference here against uh, Cleveland and uh, he's taken advantage of their weak uh, in interior defense. He's, he, you know, he runs the floor, he cleans up, he gets dunk shots and uh, it's important. Uh, Cleveland is so, I mean, they're playing bad defense, but God, it's tough when the Warriors have four superstars and then, you know, McGee just has the ability to follow up on this and take, you know, dunk miss shots and stuff. And uh, they really haven't accounted for him. And he's, he's making a difference there in his minutes. So it makes some sense is on one hand the fact that he's kind of a cleanup guy. That's more old school basketball. That's more box out kind of things, which Cleveland tends to suffer from uh, not doing well. And thus his fundamental soundness, old school play is effective against Cleveland. And number two is his ability to score as the fifth guy the trade-off oftentimes is, well, he's not great on defense as a fifth guy, but the Cavs don't have a fifth guy that can really score, so they're able to hide him. You know, his, his McGee's problems on defense are not that big against the Cavs, and he's effective on the offense because of the cleanup. Is he's, that a fair way to say it? Yes, he's 8 of 9 shooting in, in the series, and... uh they Cleveland has to pay so much attention to, to Curry and Durant and Clay Thompson that he, you know he's. But that's the case in any series. I think it's the lack of fundamentals for Cleveland is what makes the difference here. You agree? Yes. Okay. So the only shot he's missed in that whole, in the whole series was that one dunk that he should have made. So <laughs> yeah. he really should be nine for nine. Yeah. And Livingston's nine for nine, and he's not a great offensive player. All right, so last thing on this fourth game, you've got a theory on this, Mackie, and I'll give you a little tease. I disagree, <laughs> but go strong. So my thought is, regardless, whoever loses game three, I'm going to be looking to play on them game four. And to me, this is all about Golden State, because if Golden State figures out a way to win game three, they'll be, I think they'll deliver a lackadaisical effort in game four. They'll want to win it in five back at home. If Cleveland loses and goes down 0-3, we saw him do it last year. We saw him pick up Game Four at home. So I think that's I think there's argument that that could happen. 
that music. History, let, let me, son, <laughs> sonny boy, <laughs> pull up a chair. There was a guy, when I was about your age, actually, yeah, that's scary, is there was a guy named Night Vision Dave. He lived in Wisconsin. This dude was in his mid-70s, and he, in, he was part of the team that invented night vision. I mean, literally, he was a hardcore scientist dude, and he was batting sports late in his life. And just through people I met at the Stardust or whatever, I got to know him, and we started, we put a team together. It was me, him, and one other guy, and we were batting. And, you know, it was a little, you know, wouldn't call it a syndicate. It was a batting group. And uh, he bet, you know, quite big. But he was a hard, I mean, just great math. And this is pre, I mean, think about this. This would have been like 98. So obviously computers out there, but there weren't public databases. And so there were trends like, uh, you know, like these game three type trends that people are able to pull out of the databases now and they make the rounds. Back then, there might have been 100 people in the world that had a database. So uh, there was a place called Computer Sports World that was uh, the Stardust used to actually hang up the printouts from CSW. You remember that? I do remember that. Handicapper Corner? That was in their library. Yeah. Handicapper's library. Exactly. And uh, they ended up getting bought. And, and, you know, again, that just all kind of faded as the technology changed. But one of the trends that... Night Vision Dave came up with, we made huge money on was those teams down 03 is how they give up. And the only thing, and I'm not saying necessarily this spot might not be different, but let's get the baseline first and then see why it might be different is you'll see a line change three, four, five points between game three and four. So right now, we said four and a half, Golden State. If Cleveland loses, I think the line goes to seven and a half. I think a little less in this case. It goes to seven and a half. Does anyone disagree with that? No disagreement. So by definition, the market is saying the act of going down 0-3 is a big psychological negative. Now, I don't think any team, I think there's such a humiliation to getting swept that the team that has a chance to sweep, it's a statement. Remember the uh, Moses Malone fall, fall, and fall? Remember that? They asked his prediction for the playoffs. He said four, four, and four. Yeah, if very I articulate. <laughs> well, he's not old school. He's, he wasn't Vince Lombardi. Greatest <laughs> offensive rebounder in NBA history. Yeah, that, 70, that 76ers team was good. It's funny how it was just that one year for them that they were that good. But... My sense is Golden State is not going to be lax if they're up 3-0 because there's that, such a statement. It, it would redeem. First of all, winning the title redeems the season. But it feels like it'd be like a statement to like you know stomp on LeBron's corpse. So would potentially LeBron know that? And because of that, fight really hard, even if they're not going to win the series, not to get swept, to fly all the way back out? Who knows? If LeBron's out the door... Like the odds think, I mean, the odds have been really all joking aside about Twitter and all that. I've been tweeting pretty much every day, the update on LeBron's odds and it's at RJ in Vegas. And there just was a move today where Cleveland dropped like a rock. 
Yeah, the, the Cleveland has dropped, and we've seen a past history. LeBron, when he's you know got his bags packed, 2010 series against Boston it didn't was a no show, and then that last one against the, the Spurs when he's Miami, kind of you know the cramps and an issue, basically a no show. So we've seen past history of him packing his bags, and at least the odds right now say he's not likely to be in a Cleveland Cavalier uniform next season. It will also would answer the question if. The Cavaliers were to lose Game 3, because right now going into Game 3, the question is, is Golden State's superior talent enough to overcome the zigzag? And the Cavaliers obviously all in attitude and approach to Game 3. They lose Game 3, that question's been answered. So, one, Mackie, do you agree that in general, in a macro sense, the team down 0-3 is at a disadvantage? And if you do agree with that, do you think there's a real reason... In this game four, a team down 0-3 wouldn't be at that disadvantage. No, I absolutely agree with the psychological state of the team down 0-3 being at a big disadvantage. I think you hit on the key point, though, with Golden State is that what's the knock on them is that they don't have that killer instinct, put your put your yeah. foot on the throat mentality to go in and sweep them. No, I agree with that. That's interesting. So, huh. All right. Well, listen, guys, Mackie. He's a, he's a comer, as they say. Check him out. He's posting in the pregame.com forums. A lot of good stuff. And he's also looking to interact. He really wants to connect and interact and learn about the pregame uh, you know, community. Also, those listening to Dream Preview. So and the forum has a ton. I mean, a ton of great stuff. Nova's putting up free stuff. Everyone is. Check that out, pregame.com. Just click the forum. And as we said... Don't forget, Friday, the Belmont Pod with Fred Fowler and Dave Esler right there talking baseball overrated, underrated, and a free pick. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.